Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. While they're handing out those notes, let's run through a few different questions for you. The most popular month for weddings in this last couple years, the most popular month for weddings, what do you think it is? It is no longer June. Okay? Yeah, here we go. The last few years, we, August is number 5, May, June, and then September, and the number one month... It's October. October. Number one weekend of the year for weddings right now? Halloween? <laughs> Close, but not. Uh, Columbus weekend, okay, is when it's happening. The least popular month for weddings? It's not December. January. It's January, yeah. Here we go. Most expensive state to live in? It's not California. It's not California. It's not Alaska. It's not Massachusetts. You only got 47 more to go. Okay. It's not New York. You got it. Somebody just said it. Uh, number 10 is New Jersey, Rhode Island. Here we go. As we go up, you'll figure out who's who. New York is in the top five. Massachusetts, California. And number one is it's Hawaii. Hawaii. It's not Pennsylvania. Okay. Hey, let's see where we find Pennsylvania. Least expensive states to live in. The South. <laughs> By the way, did you notice? Did you notice a true Southerner? It's a state. The whole South is the whole South is one state. Okay, yeah. it's one nation under God. Right? <laughs> what do you think it is? Least expensive state. Oh, it's not. And I remember now what it is. It's not Mississippi, and it's it's not Delaware. Nobody's saying Pennsylvania. <laughs> okay, here we're going backwards now towards the least expensive. Missouri's number 10, West Virginia, Kentucky, Kansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Michigan, Iowa, Indiana. It's not Pennsylvania, it really that's not. But it's close to Pennsylvania. To the west. To the west of Pennsylvania. Yeah, there you go. Good guess, guys. Good guess. There you go. Uh, here we go. Name something kids do when they're riding all the way to Ohio. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? That's what you say during the message. Are we there yet? Okay. Anything else kids do? Oh, bathroom stops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're thirsty? Okay. Here we go. Here's what they said. They eat, they watch videos or iPads, they argue, get upset, they sleep, and number one was they say... Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Number one. Uh, name something people like to do on a rainy day. Sleep, read, watch TV. Anything else? Go shopping? It's going to be up there. Yeah, here we go. Stay home, go to the movies, go shopping, read, inside chores, watch TV, and number one is let nap or sleep in. Name something schools provide for kids other than academic education in a subject. Too much. <laughs> uh, anything else? Sports is going to be there. What's that? Meals is going to be there. Yeah. Music is going to be there. Art's not up there, I don't think. But uh, here we go. Oops, I have them out of order. Transportation, after-school programs, lunch, food, drama, they said, music, and sports was number one. Uh, name something grandparents do with their grandkids. Spend too much money? <laughs> I don't know if it's up there, but it's close to it. Read to them? Okay. Provide transportation? Okay. I don't know if it's up there. I don't remember, but that's a good one. They do the babysitting. Here's what they said. They read to them. They take them shopping. There's as much money. Give them things parents won't. Okay. Take them special places. Teach them Nixie stuff. Do we, we know what Nixie is, right? Yeah, yeah, we do it. Okay. Uh, let them do stuff they wouldn't let their own kids do. That's true, right? Grandparents let them, yeah. And spoil them was number one.
Here we go. We're in the book of Daniel. If you haven't been with us, what we've been taught, what we started last week is giving you a little bit of background information. Didn't get as deep as we wanted to. But we made these comments about the book of Daniel that it's an exciting book. It is loaded with different stories and different details uh, that deal with politics, that deal with military adventure, that deals with spiritual miracles taking place, that deal with encouragement to people, all different variety of different types of things. Is as we go to the book of Daniel, let's keep in mind that you have to read it in its setting. Otherwise, you miss the whole purpose for the book. We highlighted just a few things last time. We said that it's about 400 years after David, uh, David and Solomon were in charge. The city of Jerusalem is still functioning at the beginning of Daniel, but it is no longer under Jewish control. Because the Jews haven't been listening to God, what has happened is Jerusalem has come under attack by the Babylonians. They, the first series of attack is mentioned in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And in that first series of, uh, that first uh, attack in a series of three, what had happened is nobility's youth were taken away to hold hostage, and plus it was the policy of Babylon to take the best of the society and try to utilize them in their own, uh, their own employment. Then they come back because the Jews, though they are conquered, they revolt again. So they come back a few years later, and then they raid the city, uh, they destroy some of the things, but they take away 10,000 people. The Jews revolt another time, and what happens on the third invasion, they totally, they're done with it. Three strikes and you're out, and the Babylonians totally destroy Jerusalem, wipe it out, and it's leveled, and the land stays dormant for 70 years, uh, going back to uh, 605. And so there's an extended period that the people are out of the country, nobody's there, and it's just basically a Fallodaria. During the time of invasion, okay, that takes place, Daniel is part of the first captives. They raid the tabernacle, the temple, and they take away all the gold, as you read in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. They take away the precious items, and they take away the precious youth, those that showed the greatest promise, which Daniel was one of them, so he gets moved from Jerusalem all the way across what we know at that time to be the, the world empire of Babylon, and he's taken to their capital. Now, with that in mind, let's just set this scene before we get into chapter 1 and some of the details. Okay, Daniel is a very, very important character in the Old Testament. He is one of the three most godly individuals. We pointed this out about two weeks ago, three weeks ago in a morning message, that uh, Daniel, along with two other characters, do you remember what the other one character that we mentioned about three weeks ago? He's mentioned in this verse as one of the most godly individuals of the Old Testament. It has to do with a series I'm doing on Sunday mornings. Job. Job. Okay. So uh, Israel had gotten really bad, and God is speaking through the prophet of Ezekiel, and he makes the comment, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in the land at the time, he goes on to say that they would be able to, unable to deliver anybody else but themselves. They, because God was so frustrated with Israel, and that's why he had the city of Jerusalem destroyed uh, as a matter of spanking them just because it's gotten too bad too much. But in that comment that Ezekiel makes, Job is his I'm sorry, Daniel is his contemporary. Remember, Daniel and Ezekiel live at the same time. So for Ezekiel to make comment about Daniel and put him on the plane of Noah and Job, that's quite a phenomenal statement that he would make that comment about a guy living in his... and put him in the category of historically great, great men of God. And so what, he had, what we know is even to the people that he was living with and at the same time, he is one of the godliest men in the Old Testament. We know as well that he was used to relay important prophetic information in the book of Daniel to the Jews who were outside the land. They need to know, has God forgotten us? They need to know what's going to happen in the future. Because God told us that we had the promised land, and right now there's nobody in the promised land. What's that mean for the future? So Daniel is a conduit by which God speaks to the people. Very, very important. He rises very high in position in the in Gentile government. Therefore, he has influence. This is very rare. Can you think of any other characters in the Old Testament that rose to prominence in government, in the Gentile government status? Okay, got Joseph. Anybody else? Moses, you could put in there, okay, that he, in Egypt, who else? Cupbearer to the king. 
very instrumental in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah, okay. Uh, a lady in the Old Testament that was influential in protecting the Jewish people from annihilation. Yeah, okay. So it happens very seldom. There's only a few, but they're very critical in the protection of the Jewish people. Now in Daniel, we don't know of any situation where Daniel intervened like Ezra did. I mean like Esther did, or like Nehemiah did. But there's no doubt in most scholars' mind that Daniel probably had some influence in helping to get the Jews back into the land at the appropriate time because he was in... Uh, he was very, very prominent in that setting. Okay, and so we also know this, that Daniel, unlike, and, and we don't know everything, but this we know in the book of Daniel, Daniel influenced the spiritual lives of, of major world leaders. Yes? No? Okay, Nebuchadnezzar, was he impacted by Daniel's testimony to him? Yes, yes. So Daniel's a very, very, a very prominent uh, figure. And remember, you're a Jew living in the land of Babylon. You think you've lost everything. You've got to reset your world. And you long, even Ezekiel, uh, yeah, Ezekiel makes comments. We weep by the rivers of Babylon. They long to go home. So they need encouragement. The book of Daniel provides tremendous encouragement to those in captivity. Okay, it's very, very important we keep the context in mind. As Daniel is writing, as Daniel is recording, as his story is getting out, and obviously it's got to be getting out, because Ezekiel makes comment about Daniel's life and how he's such an impacting character. And that's right at that time. So these stories that come out of the palace... If all of a sudden you were a Jew living in a remote, uh, it, uh, let's put you in a remote area of Babylon. Let's put you in Myerstown, Babylon. Okay, you're in a remote area and you think, that, hey, we've been betrayed by God or we've been deserted by God. And you hear the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What would that do to you? Would it encourage your heart? That, that this mighty ruler who makes himself to be, I mean, what, what's his point? Everybody's supposed to bow down and worship him, you know, the, the ruler. This mighty ruler, when he tries to destroy three Jewish men who would not bow down, what happens? Yeah, they don't get touched. They don't even smell like smoke. And so that, those stories are really, really impacting stories like, wow, God is not dead. That's an important truth, folks, for the Jews living at that time. And so when we think about some of the important truths, let's just summarize a few, that the Jews, if you were living there at that time, you would need to know this. This would be a lesson from the book of Daniel. God is greater than any other deity. That even though, and remember in that world that they lived in, might makes right. Whoever wins the battle, their God is the bigger God. And by the book of Daniel, we're learning, if we're living in that time period, we're learning that God is mightier than the Babylonian Marduk, that's their God, where he's mightier than him, that he is able to do miracles even in the heart of the palace. These are important truths to keep in mind. God is not limited to any single territory. That was common thinking back then, that the gods that you worship were only limited to their boundaries of their people. God has authority over all persons. If you were a Jew living in that land, and if it came out and it got tweeted somewhere that the king was suffering from several years of, of insanity, as per God's comment and God's prophecy... Man, you would realize that God is mightier than the king of Babylon, who at that time was considered the mightiest person in the world, and in their world. And so God has authority over all persons. God is a force to be reckoned with. Just what I said, the king is humbled. But remember, if you're a Jew, you have to think this through, that God is a force to be reckoned with. We are here in Babylon because of whose fault? Who, why are we in Babylon? In their own fault, okay? You've got to think this through. God would rather have his people living in a shameful captivity than living in a shameful way in the Holy Land. That is true even of today. Will our God discipline his children to get them to be holier? Yes. He's more interested in our holiness than our 
happiness. Okay, and so that's an important truth. And the Jews needed to know this because they're in, they're in a timeout, and they're going to stay in timeout unless they change. And so they need to realize that, you know, you're going to answer to God. There's another truth. God has not forsaken them. This would be critical, that he is still working in and through them, that they need to be faithful. God will deny, uh, I'm sorry, God will be faithful to his promises and covenants. He will ne- you know, never, never are they to deny them. He won't deny them. He won't deny the people. He made a covenant and a covenant, understand, as it's being taught again in another class, a covenant is more than a contract. A covenant is a real strong personal commitment. The, the strongest covenant we have today in our society is what? Hmm. No, I'm not talking about the legal aspect. Uh, excuse me. I'm talking about covenants that people can make between people. What's the most binding covenant before God that's made? <clears throat> it's marriage. Marriage is more than just a contract. It is a covenant, and with that covenant comes commitment. Okay? And so make a distinction in your mind. Covenants aren't just a contract, like I promised to do this, though that's involved. It is a commitment. Now, when God makes a commitment, does he ever break it? No. No, and so that's important to remember. He's going to be faithful to his covenant that he made with them, and so he's not denying them. He's coming back. This is important. God works, and this would be for the Jews. It's for us as well. God works on an international level, and he works on a personal level. The book of Daniel, does God portray himself as working in international politics, moving nations? Yes, does God show himself working in one individual's or just a couple individual's bodies? Yes, yes. So he works at all levels. That's important because sometimes people, I don't know if people do it in this day, I say that facetiously, but some people think God is at work in the world, but God's not at work in my world. Okay, And it's important that he stresses that in the book. This is an important truth for the Jews living at that moment. Okay, God blesses those who are faithful. Like Daniel, even when it means your life is on the line, you need to be faithful. And by the way, is Daniel's life on the line ever in the book of Daniel? Okay, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, is their life on the line? Yes, okay. Faithfulness is blessed by God. And so that's important. So we even read, and we're going to get into it now, in Daniel chapter 1, where he's brought in favor because he's been faithful. And there's a verse that we need to keep in mind as we get into chapter 1. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even, remember the rest of it? His enemies to be at peace with them. Okay, so Daniel is in a land where he's, it's, he's surrounded by enemies. And Daniel is brought up in the, in the eyes of the enemies even. He is going to be elevated to a point of they're going to, most of them are going to respect him and there's going to be periods until they get too jealous of him. But God's working in his heart. So we start with chapter 1. The circumstances are very similar to what we've already said, but let's put Daniel in an age bracket. We think he's in that middle teen uh, time of his life. Okay, so you've got to put yourself back when you're 14, 15, 16. What were you like, okay, at that point? And Daniel is going to be put into, taken into captivity. And as you go through this part, you all know, okay, he's part of a conquered people. Okay, so he's part of a race. I'm saying that in a broad sense. A race or a group of people that are, for the most part, how are they going to be viewed by the Babylonians? What do you think? Okay, they're, they're going to they're have condescending views towards them. They're going to be looking at him kind of sideways. So he's living in that land, and some of you have experienced that for multiple reasons, because of economics or skin color or the way that, you know, there's a pattern of speech, that when you're a teenager and you, ex- you feel prejudice, okay, that you didn't create, can that tear you down? Yeah, yeah. And so he's in that situation. He's uprooted from his family. Okay, so when you were 14, 15, how would it have gone for you being separated from family, put into a foreign country? Okay, that you don't know the customs and everything's strange. And you are told in that foreign country, you have to be like us right away. We're going to make you, 
And, and not only do they try to get him to conform to their customs, but they're going to make him conform to their thinking. Okay? Does it ever happen that in some th- times in history, people were brainwashed by governments? Yes? No? Okay. Do you think of some situations right away? Okay. So he's in a brainwashing program that he's going to be becoming like a, like a Chaldean. He's got to learn a new language. He's going to learn their, their focus. He's in that group that for the period of three years, they are called magicians and astrologers at the end of the chapter. By the way, magicians and astrologers, what does the book of Deuteronomy say about those type of people? They condemns them. Daniel is put into their schooling that's the education he's going to get. He's going to be equated with those wise men okay? that he's going to have to be in circulation with. So you're in a situation where you're learning a language, you're in a foreign land, you're put around people that by nature, by spiritual nature, you don't want to be around these people. Okay? So there's all this pressure. But you don't have any choice because it's life and death. You've got you to gotta be there. And you're learning some of the things that they, are, that they want you to learn. Okay? And so they even take his name away. Okay? Do, you, do, you remember, do you remember that series of Roots years ago? That, uh, Alex Haley? Did I get it right? Do you remember one of the things that the main character tried to hang on to? What did they, if I recall right, help me out. Toby is his... His name? Okay. But his, his original name is Kunta Kinte. Do you remember through that whole series, and even as went generations, what did they try to hang on to? The name. The name, because the name gives identity. Okay? It's your person. And the, uh, the only persons that, you know, I, I remember this. This is stupid, I know. I remember the night before I got married. I'm laying in my bed, and I'm thinking... You know, after tonight, my life is not my own. I'm saved. I'm not talking about that part. But I'm talking about relationship. And I don't, and to me, this was this, this dumb but, you know, major moment. I don't even have my name. I'm sharing my name when I say I do. Not that I had any regrets. Okay, don't say it. She's not here, so okay. <laughs> but to me, it was like, my name is going to become somebody else's name. And it was like, wow, have I thought this through? Okay. I only have a few hours to get this. Am I ready for that? Okay. Now put yourself in a country where you don't have a choice to say, I'm giving you my name. They're taking your name. They're taking away what most of us would say. They're taking away me. And so Daniel's name we know that his name means God is judge. And he's given a name that says, who's Bell? It's, it's a phony God. You're being named after a phony God. So not only is this hard, but this is insulting to your spiritual... Okay, the other three friends of his, their names in the Jewish language. Their names in the Jewish language and what they're named after, okay? We have all, all three of these guys experienced this whole idea that they, they were now named after a foreign deity. So, this, I mean, it, it wasn't just, okay, you're going to be a captive and work for us. This isn't like you get a job and you're going to be our employee for eight hours a day. You're ours. We own you for eight hours a day, but then you can go and do your own thing. In this situation, it's 24-7. It's lifetime. There is no hope in your mind as a teenager. And by the way, if you're told you're going to school for three years as a 15-year-old, how long does that feel? Okay, do you remember when you were back in 15? One year felt like eternity. You know, saying, I can't get my license until I'm 16. I have to wait so long. And it's a year away. Do you remember when you first started college? You're thinking... Four, if you, if you were able to cram it in four years. Four years seems like, yeah. And then now you turn around and look back and you go, yeah, it's gone. It's gone. That was just like, you know, one day. Four years in the life of a teen is as one day in the life of somebody who is a much older person. And so they, these guys, this is what they have to face. This is what Daniel is going under. Then he's put on top of it. He's put in the king's court. Can I add something? 
What do you know about this king? How stable is this king? Does this king, do you, in your, and I'm asking to pick forward in the book, does this king show moments of great self-control or does he show elements of erratic anger? Do you remember what happens in the next story? He gets a dream. And when he gets the dream, he goes to his wise men. He says, tell me, not just the, you know, the conclusion, but tell me the dreams type thing. And they can't. What's the king want to do? I, wait a minute. He's just invested years of education in these wise men. They've, they, these guys are his counselors. These guys are the people who have influence upon him. These guys have taken a lot of time and energy to get him to this point, and he's ready to do what with them? Okay, so you're in a court with a king who can be kind of... What word do you want to put here? Okay, he, he, yeah. He's really, really erratic. Okay, would that put you under any pressure? Okay, would you feel like you're walking on the proverbial eggshells? Okay, so you got that as a, as a 15, 16-year-old. There you go. Okay, this guy isn't just you know, some kind of, okay, he's just kind of a fly-by-night. He's going to be here for a couple of years and then gone. This is the world's most powerful ruler. You're being watched constantly. He's expecting you to perform, and he wants results. Okay, so this is the pressure you're under as a young person. And by the way, do young people handle all this type of academic pressure without any issues? No, old people don't handle all this pressure. So this is what they're living under. And so the first act, think this through, the first act of Daniel, what are they going to ask Daniel to do that becomes a problem for him? In all of what he's being put under, what is going to become the issue? The food. The food. Okay, the food is going to be the issue for him. Okay, they're expected to eat the same food that the Babylonians eat, which is no problem. When in Rome, do as right? Or is it wrong for him? Okay, why is it wrong for, for Daniel? This, is, this, this, isn't, this isn't real heavy-duty stuff. Why is it wrong for Daniel? Because he's... Okay, he's a Jew. He's a Jew. He only eats, what well, we would say modern terms, he only eats what type of food? He's going to eat kosher food. And this is because he's been trained by his parents. That's it. No. What is his motivation? That's the interesting part of what happens here. This isn't like, okay, um, some of our grandkids have food allergies, so they've been trained by their parents to stay away from certain foods. And so when they come to our house, they will ask the question, does this have dairy in it? It has lots of it. That's why I'm feeding it to you. No, no. Yeah, we know that, so we take precautions. But they always ask us because they've been trained and they know it would affect them. Daniel has an even deeper, greater motivation than this isn't good food, I don't like it, I've, you know, I don't like sweets, or I don't like you know, scrapple, or I don't like coconut, therefore, that's, that's not his motivation. What's his motivation? You see, yeah, yeah, and it says it very clearly, where he makes the comment that he's, he says in the end of verse 8. This is the key part of, verse, of, of this story. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not, what? Yeah, there, that's, it was the beginning of chapter 8, said the end. He would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine, etc. Therefore he requested the eunuch, etc., etc. It has to do, and the word that's used there is not that he, you know, he would disgust himself. It has to do with spiritual defilement. It has to do with uncleanness. Okay, so he is, his motivation as a 15-year-old, which makes it really commendable, in all of this pressure and all this setting, is he's concerned about what area of his life? His spiritual. His spiritual. And he, that's, that's his motivation. That's where he's going. That's what this is all about. And so his, his point is this, and we have to remind ourselves that in the Jewish mindset of those godly Jews, 
They have a list of foods that are clean and unclean. Now, we're going by what was given then, that whole additional uh, list that they get in the Mishnah. That hasn't been written yet. That's going to come later, all those traditions that Jesus deals with. But they have some very specific foods that's being put before them. They have the idea that they are not supposed to be eating the food that's sacrificed to the gods, and that would be the case in the palace. Historical documents indicate that all the food was always offered to the deities, false deities, before it was eaten. So he's got a problem with maybe the portion of the food and as well where it came from. Um, here's, it mentions wines, okay, that they're supposed to stay away from strong drinks. That's Old Testament, okay? Uh, we read about that, you know, in the book of Proverbs, etc. In the Babylonian customs, the Jews would dilute their, wa- their wines to try to stay away from make it, letting it become strong drink. When it became strong drink, it was the fermented type that would be not diluted. And so the typical custom of Jews, Old Testament, New Testament, was to dilute it. Babylonian custom was not to dilute it, let it be potent, let it be more impacting. So what he's doing is he's given this food, this beverage, that is contrary to some of the practices that he would have grown up with, but they are based upon the Word of God and the lessons that were given therein. So Daniel has this commitment that he says very simply that what he wants is he's saying, despite the pressures that that would include Okay, the idea, and you read about it in verse 5, that, now look at verse 5. Who, who determined the diet? Yeah, it says very clearly, the king. Okay, now he has people who are carrying it out. The, the gentleman that they deal with that, that Daniel's brought into favor with, the prince of the eunuchs. But verse 5 makes it very clear, the king set the diet. For Daniel to say no... That's really, really critical because he's saying no to the king. A 15-year-old kid, you're the boss, you're the manager, he works for you, and the 15-year-old kid says no to you. How do you want to handle this? Okay. Okay, that's the setting. That's what we got going. Okay. And remember, the general attitude, pick up all this, the little intricacies, okay, that the prince of the eunuchs, He makes comment when Daniel says, we don't want to eat this food. The prince of the eunuch says, Daniel, what's the attitude of the prince of the eunuch in relationship to the king? What do you read in verse 10? I'm afraid of the king. His boss set the diet. So there's, there's playing in here a lot, of, uh, a lot of underlying stuff. Don't just think this was a minor decision about food. Okay, this was, if he doesn't eat the food, who else gets in trouble? The eunuch, okay? The eunuch gets in trouble, and the eunuch says, I'm fearful of the king. And then on top of it, what about the other lads, the other people in this school? could be other Jews. It could be others from other lands. It says, okay, you know, by implication that he say, make a comparison between us and the other students in this forced education program. So there's others there. The, um, and by the way, I wouldn't think, now this is, this is my personal taste and choice coming out in this illustration. I wouldn't think the food presented to him would be scrapple covered in coconut. For me, that would be like the epitome of gag me, okay? But there's no spiritual inclinations here. This is just personal taste and choice. Some of you would find scrapple covered in coconut. <sighs> Nobody's going to, okay, we, we, we decide. Okay. okay, I like a certain food. I think liver smothered in onions is wonderful. Okay. And if it were put before me, I would eat it. If it were put before some of you, you would. <laughs> okay. So we're not talking that setting. We're talking probably they're putting before them good food. Food that, you know, that, you know, it could be food like, anybody else's stomach starting to growl? It could be like, you know, you're living in the king's palace and you're going to get the food that's kind of like shady maple. 
That just did us all in. Okay, the rest of the, the, rest of the morning, we're all thinking food now. Okay. And so, you know, to, to agree, you've you got to think this through. That making this decision isn't about personal preferences. It's about a spiritual decision that really is a major decision because of the situation involved. Because of the pressures, because of all those things. You know, and it, what it shows us about Daniel is two things. Okay, maybe more than two. He knew what was required in the law. Okay, he knew what was required. I can't help but think to myself, when my kids were 14 and 15 years old, had I trained them well enough that they knew what was required by God, that if they were taken out of my home, would they know how to live godly by God's standards? Burden on the parents. Here he is at 15, and I can say this honestly, when I was 14, 15 years old, I wouldn't have known anything that God required. I wasn't even saved. But what about you when you were 14, 15? Did you know the word? This is really, this tells us a lot about him. It tells us that he examined his own life by God's word. He would make the word of God his standard for what he did, even in an area of food. And so it's very, very important that he is asking the question that basically Ephesians points out, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Okay, here he is. He's making, is this acceptable? Is what they're asking me to do acceptable? I can put up with learning a different language. I can put up with a name change. It doesn't change me. But when they're asking me to take something internally, and make it a part of me, that there's my limit. And so he's, he's comparing his life with the Word of God and making it follow. There's an, an illustration just to give. This individual who had grown up, he had, as a young boy, he had heard and read some of the stories as he got a little bit older uh, from the idea of Troy and the stories of Ulysses and some of those characters, you know, Homer's, Homer's writings, the uh, Iliad and the Odyssey. So when he got to be an adult, he, uh, he had been told all along, they're fables, they're fables, there's probably no historical detail. So Based upon those books, he started to do some research, and he is credited with coming up and research digs, finding some foundations and some evidences archaeologically that probably, they don't know the exact name, but they assume that's the city of Troy, and it was all based upon the writings that he had as a youngster that influenced his life and his major accomplishments in this world based upon the writings he read as a youngster. That they dictated, they guided him. Does the word of God guide you? Dictate to you how you're going to live from day to day. So he's following the word of God without rationalizing it. And I wanted to pause and talk about because there's easy ways for you and I to rationalize away the word of God. We could start, and, and sometimes this happens. People will say, well, these are abnormal times or circumstances, so we don't need to follow the word of God. God put us in a no-win situation. Or we have these comments, look at all the good we can do if we go along and, you know, and change some of the standards from the word. And besides, if we don't do it, it could cost us our life. So let's just bow down to the idols, but in our hearts. And by the way, this, this was a critical component in early Christianity, and probably today in areas we don't understand. But in early Christianity, they were demanded to worship the sun god. It was one of the major ten uh, persecutions in the early years of, of the uh, church and right around the book of Acts. And so they asked the people to come in and worship and bow down before the sun god. You and I would spell that sun god S. Okay, the, the, the society said S-U-N. Okay, some of the believers knew that they would lose their lives or their family would lose their lives, so they decided that we would go through the motions and we would bow down, but we would in our mind think not S-U-N, but think S-O-N. And it became a very, very, very major uh, crisis in the early church. Some people lost their lives because they wouldn't bow down. Others bowed down or recanted, and then some of those who, who bowed down came to the church and said, you know, we did it outwardly, but in our hearts, and it became a mess. And some who did genuinely deny Christ during part of it came back later and say, we need to be forgiven, we were wrong. But their motivation for doing that was, we'll die. We'll die if we don't do it. That's easy for you and me to sit here and to say, 
Give your life. Yeah, our lives aren't a threat right now. Okay? It's easy for us to say believers should gather together on Sunday no matter what. But we're not living in a culture that if you gather together, the police might show up at your door this afternoon. And we can, you know, so, so I want to be not condemning, but at the same time, think this through. Not rationalize away. And I think it's important that they would have to worship and gather. But the question is, would we have that same fortitude as a 15-year-old kid? Okay? And throw on top of it, <clears throat> if he doesn't eat the food, whose who's, uh, life could be threatened as well? Okay, the eunuch. Yeah. Excuse me. The, um, it could be, you know, and so you can rationalize these things. Daniel did not rationalize it away. He was living by the word of God in the simplicity of what it says. So his conduct, which I, I, we'll probably get to this next week, but his conduct surprises me. Okay, it is phenomenal how he approaches this. He doesn't, he doesn't show any form of rebellion. Okay, when you read the words that when Daniel is talking, look at, look, this, this to me is just important. And, and it says in verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart. He would not do it. Therefore, in the middle of verse 8, look at the second half. What does your Bible read? Therefore he blank of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I have requested. Anybody have another verb? He asked? Okay. Does it sound like demand? Have a, have a, um, what do you call them? Kids to, have a temper tantrum? It doesn't give that impression at all. And it says, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and tender love of the prince of eunuchs. God's already been at work. The prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. And again, it's, the reader wants us to understand. He stated it twice. The king ordered the food. And so it's very important that, they, that we understand. For why should he see your faces look worse or not as strong like than the children which are of your sort? It's other Jewish kids. Then shall you, know, you make who? Yeah, he says it. You're going to endanger my head to the king. So this isn't like, okay, I might, I might get a demotion. I might get executed. Okay, this is serious stuff. This is big time, big time stuff. So this isn't a rash decision. This isn't one with regrets. You know, there's no, there's no anger towards God. Like, why did God put me in this situation? You know, how could God do this? You know, pity me, woe is me. No hesitation. So again, we understand no hesitation because if the king appointed the food and Daniel is trying to come up with different food, he had to do it soon. Okay, there isn't like, okay, let's do it for one year and then we'll figure out the last two years. So Daniel is following the word of God while he's being respectful in his conversation and this to me is really, really phenomenal. He gives an alternative. He doesn't give... He doesn't give um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm having a brain drain here. He doesn't give ultimatums. He doesn't give ultimatums. He gives options, a creative options, an alternative, not an, alterna- uh, an ultimatum. We in American culture, because we are so always about rights, we give more ultimatums than we do alternatives. And so Daniel, and, and, and we'll, we'll come back to that because I think that's worth really, really exploring uh, in, in a few moments. So Daniel takes this big step of faith. He says, okay, what you want to do is give us the certain food and basically you're going to give us you know, some vegetables is the idea and we will have water. Vegetables and water. That's what we're going we're gonna, to... I've got two books on my shelf that they take this verse and what do you think they do with it? Vegetarian diets. Yeah, that's the principle out of Daniel 1, is Christians and believers ought to eat vegetarian diets. Is that the principle out of Daniel 1? No, no, no. In fact, in, we read in the New Testament, all meats have been sanctified for our use. And so it's not a matter of, okay, this is a diet issue. This is a spiritual issue. This is, stand, you know, am I going to follow the word of God? Now, if you were a Jew living and you're reading this story, and by the way, let, you know the end of the story already. 
So that, that gives us an up on them. You're a Jew. What would be the important lessons coming out of the palace by Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? By hearing their story, what would this say to you as a Jew? Can I, can I give you some options? Okay, that are very important. We Jews are to maintain or keep our differences, our distinctions at all times and all places. That's very, very important. It's not just a, and I'm going to use the terms, please, please follow with me. It's not just a Jewish thing. Okay, this is a God thing. Okay, so we need to keep that distinction. All of our Jewish laws are still valid, even though we're far away from home. Does that make sense? Okay, because we joke about it that sometimes people become a different type of a believer 200 miles away from home. Okay, this is a 15-year-old kid saying and illustrating God's commands are valid no matter where I'm at and if nobody's with me. That's, that's phenomenal, folk, isn't it? Think about a 15-year-old kid. Isn't this a commendable thing? Let's add to it this. God's current discipline does not mean he forsook us. This is important. We're under the hand, chastising hand of God. Sometimes when people get under the chastising hand of God, what do, they, what do they say? What's the use? I give up. God is against me, so... That's what Hebrews 12 talks about. Where he's in Hebrews 12, it talks about he chastens us because he loves us and we ought not to become weary in the chastening. But rather, we should respond with a more holy lifestyle. Our Jewish God still sees everything in Babylon. This is what we have already alluded to earlier, but this is very important for them to understand. Our God is able to perform great deeds in Babylonian court. This is, this is like getting into the very hub of the pagan government in the, in the inside of the seat of power, and God is still moving. So that's very, very important. We can turn to and trust God to work in little, big, in little ways and big ways. Very important tremendous truths for the Jewish people living at that time. And by the way, they're good for us today. But very important for those individuals. So they provide this example to follow in three different ways. Okay, I mentioned, you know, this isn't about vegan stuff here or vegetarian stuff. This is about different higher principles. Okay? The first example, okay, that we've already alluded to is set your focus on God's Word. That is, you know what God has stated and God, by the way, it's not about dietary laws anymore, but are there certain rules and standards for believers? Yes, there are. Be ye holy as I am holy. Okay. Love your enemies, etc., etc. Okay. Um, there's commands about worship. There's commands about, about relationships. There's commands about relationships that even if the married couple is far away from each other, what are they supposed to remain? Okay, be faithful. Be pure in all areas. So those, there's lots of those different commands. Okay, and so if we were to say, what would this look like in my life, your life, okay? Some of the issues about commands in the New Testament, how we work. In fact, it even says, don't be a man pleaser at work. That You only work when the boss shows up. You're a Christian. You have a higher standard. You're supposed to owe no man anything. Okay, but the love. You're supposed to be training up your kids. You're to be loving your spouse. You're supposed to be honest in all things. That includes copyright laws. <clears throat> For instance, um, you know, when we do music stuff here, we are trying to be extremely careful to make sure that when we are allowed, uh, one of the songs we use during the missions conference, we wrote, we paid extra fees so we could use the song in, uh, in a public setting. Uh, though we, we pay funds every, every year, we pay a uh, couple thousand, twelve hundred dollars to have our copyright, to be able to use music. There is well, this one song, didn't follow underneath it, but it's a song that a lot of people know. But it's no longer under a free copyright. And our response was, well, we could use it, and we can just put the words up, and we could do it, and most of the people know the song. And it was like, no, we can't do that. We can't do that because in specifics, we're not even supposed to put the words up. 
We've did it in the past when it wasn't under that copyright situation, when they had more free roam. But now it comes under it, and so it's like we've got to contact the people, we've got to get their permission, we have to have it in writing. And there's a lot of extra stuff that goes with the little things like that. But it's right to do. It's the appropriate thing to do. And it, we can't just say, yeah, but it's for a good cause. No, no, no. We have to do what's right, right? Okay, just, you know, we can't be telling our kids, obey the, the laws, and then we don't. And so it's, you know, all those types of things that, that we can, we can uh, put down here about what we say, how we talk, and, you know, but I'm angry, so it's okay, or I'm hungry, so it's okay that I'm miserable in the home just because I'm hangry. Um, can't do that. Can't do that. And so we learned that we're supposed to be following the Word of God. Okay, and Daniel provides a good example that way. I'm going to need to move on. Okay, um, Daniel sought fellowship with godly friends. That's another principle that stands out here. That Daniel is talking in the plural as you go through this text. We're hearing about Daniel, but all of a sudden there's plurals. Give us, prove your servants, let our countenance deal with thy servants. And it shows up, you know, that Daniel and his three friends were in cahoots for a good thing here. That, that isn't just about Daniel, but it's also some of the others. And so the young man, obviously, Daniel is surrounding himself with young men who are like-minded, and they are different than the others of their people that was mentioned by, uh, by the eunuch when he says in verse 10, others of your sort. So these four guys are standing out. Now that, to me, okay, stands out and says, okay, when it comes to this idea of godly friends, it's very important. You go through the Bible, and you find that godly people, godly men, usually had somebody else next to them that was a support system, that was a help system. And some of you have been thoroughly blessed by having those types of individuals. You, they, they don't even have to be somebody that you see week by week. But you may have contact with, some, with them that you know if there was a crisis, they would be there, they would pray for you, they would help you out. Tremendous. Tremendous. What a blessing to have those folk. So when we think about it, okay, you and I should seek fellowship with true, godly people who want to be godly in all areas at all times. Okay, we want to make sure that they are people who determine to follow God's word. Okay. That means anybody who comes to church. Yes? No, not necessarily so. Do some people go to churches, but they do not determine to follow God's word at other times? Yeah. So you and I need to be careful. We make sure that our primary confidence and counsel comes from truly godly people. And if we need their encouragement support, their prayer support, let's get it. Let's get it. Let's not be the Lone Ranger. Oh, in fact, Lone Ranger even had... Yeah, okay. So we, all, we need that. Okay. Daniel and his friends, okay, they're showing faith. The faith is in the story that we understand very quickly that God, you feed us this food, give us 10 days, and then make a comparison. We believe that God will honor his word, that God will work in our places in this foreign country. We believe God can work in our bodies. And that's an amazing thought when it's a 15-year-old kid. God will give us the physical appearance and countenance. We believe God will do something special, even in the midst of this situation. So that's what happens. The story then kind of concludes that, okay, 10 days come by, and it says in verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, their countenance was better. They were fair. What's your Bible say specifically in verse 15? Their countenance, by comparison, they looked fairer and fatter. Okay, so they don't show like 10 days where they're becoming you know, shallow-faced. Okay, and Then all the children which did eat the portion of the meat, king's meat. Then he goes on and says that Melzar uh, took away the portion of the meat and as a result they end up with the uh, vegetables and water for three years. Okay, As for these four children, now this 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, this is summary it's not the story, but therefore, because it's not the story, we jump over it. We ought not. We, it says, as for the four children, God gave them. And it specifies how God's working with them. I want to take a few more minutes. I want you to, to engage in one of the conversations here that happens in this account. So let's wait until next week. Thank you. Let's get ready for the worship service, okay? Thanks for listening.